This is Chapter Nine of Puddenhead Wilson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Tragedy of Puddenhead Wilson by Mark Twain, Chapter Nine. Tom practices sycophancy. Why is it that we rejoice at a birth and grieve at a funeral? It is because we are not the person involved. Puddenhead Wilson's Calendar. It is easy to find fault if one has that disposition. There was once a man who, not being able to find any other fault with his coal, complained that there were too many prehistoric toads in it. Puddenhead Wilson's Calendar. Tom flung himself on the sofa and put his throbbing head in his hands and rested his elbows on his knees. He rocked himself back and forth and moaned. I've knelt to a nigger wench, he muttered. I thought I had struck the deepest depths of degradation before, but oh dear, it was nothing to this. Well, there is one consolation, such as it is. I've struck bottom this time. There's nothing lower. But that was a hasty conclusion. At ten that night, he climbed the ladder in the haunted house, pale, weak, and wretched. Roxy was standing in the door of one of the rooms, waiting. For she had heard him. This was a two-story log house which had acquired the reputation a few years ago of being haunted, and that was the end of its usefulness. Nobody would live in it afterward or go near it by night, and most people even gave it a wide berth in the daytime. As it had no competition, it was called the haunted house. It was getting crazy and ruinous now from long neglect. It stood three hundred yards beyond Puddenhead Wilson's house, with nothing between but vacancy. It was the last house in the town at the end. Tom followed Roxy into the room. She had a pile of clean straw in the corner for a bed. Some cheap but well-kept clothing was hanging on the wall. There was a tin lantern freckling the floor with little spots of light, and there were various soap and candle boxes scattered about, which served for chairs. The two sat down. Roxy said, "'Now, den, I'll tell you straight off, and I'll begin to collect the money later on. I ain't no hurry. What does you reckon I's going to tell you?' "'Well, you—you—oh, Roxy, don't make it too hard for me. Come right up and tell me you've found out somehow what a shape I'm in on account of dissipation and foolishness.' "'Disposition and foolishness? No, sir, that ain't it. That just ain't enough at all, alongside of what I knows. Tom stared at her and said, Why, Roxy, what do you mean? She rose and gloomed above him like a fate. I mean this, and it's the Lord's truth. You ain't no more kin to Mars Driscoll than I is. That's what I means. And her eyes flamed with triumph. What? Yes, sir, and that ain't all. You's a nigger. Born a nigger and a slave, and use a nigger and a slave dis minute. And if I opens my mouth, old Messrs. Driscoll sell you down the river for you is two days older than what you is now. It's a thundering lie, you miserable old blatherskite. It ain't no lie, neither. It's just the truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me. Yes, sir, use my son. You devil. And that poor boy that you's been a kickin' and a cuffin' today is Percy Driscoll's son and your master. You beast. 
and his name is tom driscoll and yours name's valet de chambers and you ain't got no family name because niggers don't have em tom sprang up and seized a billet of wood and raised it but his mother only laughed at him and said sit down you pup does you think you can skyer me it ain't in you nor de likes of you i reckon you'd shoot me in the back maybe if you got a chance for that's just your style i knows you through and through but i don't mind getting killed cause all this is down in writin and it's in safe hands too and a man that's got it knows where to look for the right man when i gets killed oh bless your soul if you puts your mother up for as big a fool as you is you's powerful mistaken i can tell you now den you set still and behave yourself and don't you git up and gin until i tell you tom fretted and chafed a while in a whirlwind of disorganized sensations and emotions and finally said with something like settled conviction the whole thing is moonshine now then go ahead and do your worst i'm done with you roxy made no answer she took the lantern and started for the door tom was in a cold panic in a moment come back come back he wailed i didn't mean it roxy i, I take it all back and i'll never say it again please come back roxy the woman stood a moment and she said gravely that's one thing you's got to stop valet de chambers you can't call me roxy same as if you was my equal chillen don't speak to dey mammies like dat you call me ma or mammy dat's what you'll call me leastways when dey ain't nobody round say it. it cost tom a struggle but he got it out that's all right don't you ever forget it again if you knows what's good for you now den you had said you wouldn't ever call it lies and moonshine again i'll tell you dis for a warnin if you ever does say it again it's de last time you'll ever say it to me i'll tramp as straight to de judge as i can walk and tell him who you is and prove it does you believe me when i says dat oh groaned tom i more than believe it i know it roxy knew her conquest was complete she could have proved nothing to anybody and her threat of writings was a lie but she knew the person she was dealing with and had made both statements without any doubt as to the effect they would produce she went and sat down on her candle-box and the pride and pomp of her victorious attitude made it a throne she said now den chambers we's gwine to talk business and they ain't gwine to be no more foolishness in the first place you gets fifty dollars a month you's gwine to hand over half of it to your ma plank it out but tom had only six dollars in the world he gave her that and promised to start fair on next month's pension chambers how much is you in debt tom shuddered and said nearly three hundred dollars how's you going to pay it tom groaned out oh i don't know don't ask me such awful questions but she stuck to her point until she wearied a confession out of him he had been prowling about in disguise stealing small valuables from private houses in fact he made a good deal of a raid on his fellow villagers a fortnight before when he was supposed to be in st louis but he doubted if he had sent away enough stuff to realize the required amount and was afraid to make a further venture in the present excited state of the town his mother approved of his conduct and offered to help but this frightened him he tremblingly ventured to say that if she would retire from the town he should feel better and safer and could hold his head higher and was going to make an argument but she interrupted and surprised him pleasantly by saying she was ready it didn't make any difference to her where she stayed so that she got her share of the pension regularly 
She said she would not go far, and would call at the haunted house once a month for her money. Then she said, "'I don't hate you so much now, but I've hated you a many a year, and anybody would. Didn't I change you off, and give you a good family and good name, and made you a white gentleman and rich, with store clothes on, and what did I get for it? You despised me all the time, and was always saying mean, hard things to me before folks, and wouldn't ever let me forget as a nigger, and—' and she fell to sobbing and broke down tom said but you know i didn't know you were my mother and besides well never mind about that now let it go i's going to forget it then she added fiercely and don't ever make me remember it again or you'll be sorry i tell you when they were parting tom said in the most persuasive way he could command ma would you mind telling me who was my father he had supposed he was asking an embarrassing question. He was mistaken. Roxy drew herself up with a proud toss of her head, and said, "'Does I mind telling you?' "'No, Dad, I don't. You ain't got no occasion to be shame of your father, I can tell you. He was the highest quality in this whole town, old Virginia stock. First families he was, just as good stock as the Driscolls and the Howards. The best they ever seed.' She put on a little prouder air, if possible, and added impressively, "'Does you remember Colonel Cecil Burley Essex, that died the same year your young Mars Tom Driscoll's pappy died, and all the Masons and odd fellers and churches turned out and give him the biggest funeral this town ever seed? That's the man.' Under the inspiration of her soaring complacency the departed graces of her earlier days returned to her and her bearing took to itself a dignity and state that might have passed for queenly if her surroundings had been a little more in keeping with it. "'Dey ain't another nigger in this town that's as high-born as you is. Now then, go long, and just you hold your head up as high as you want to. You has de right, and dat I can swear.'" End of chapter 9